gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Back at it again. Infectious Scouting Podcast. Episode number nine of this 2019 season. We are on it. Jam on it. All right, seeing a place to be. Rick Saratella telling it like it is since 2002 when it comes to the NFL draft. It's what we do. Of course, I'll be riding, co-hosting with my main man, Russell Landy, bringing two decades of scouting experience in the NFL, the CFL, the XFL, which had their XFL 2.0 draft. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Of course, spending some time cutting his teeth in the recruiting world at UCLA. He's seen it from every perspective, so from the collegiate level, the pro level, the scouting side, the front office side, in the field, and now he joins us on the Sports Management Worldwide Hotline. He is Russ Landy. Russ, from the east to the west, what's going on, my brother? What's going on, big timer? I mean... Do you, I mean, you're from Jersey. Do you even know what it's like out west? I mean, do you even know that they're in a different time zone? I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, my Jerseyness definitely stands out, Russ, like a sore thumb. And, uh, you know, we, we began up in Oregon, the Oregon Trails. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, mean, I, I found out people in Oregon are just like East Coast people, right? They're not hippies or crazy <laughs> yeah. people or anything. Hey, they just want to hear me talk. So, exactly. you know, I, I never went, you know, I never went somewhere where somebody wanted to hear me talk so much. I guess that's why we tune into this podcast. You could hear me talk some more. But no, man, we're cutting it up. A lot of great players out west. And, uh, you know, now I'm down in the Berkeley Cal area. I'll be uh, visiting the Cal Bears later on today. First, I got to stop in and check out the quarterback at UC Davis, Jake Meyer. And yesterday I was over at San Jose State, you know, looking at palm trees during football practice. And, uh, you know, hey, we're going to be hit triple header Thursday, Friday, Saturday, UCLA at Stanford, UNLV at Fresno State, and Arizona at USC. And then I'm coming back home to the Jersey Shore. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That You're big time, brother. You got that private hey, jet set up for you so you can fly from game to game to game. Well, we're trying here at the uh, NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, obviously, January 18th in Pasadena. We're going to find the 112 best prospects that we possibly can. And, of course, hey, at NFL Draft Bob, we've got four draft guides coming out this year, four, counting four draft guides coming out. So, um, you know, if you subscribe and get the prospectus automatically, then you get our in-season scouting. Of course, we'll have our all-star game primer. Uh, we'll have the official NFL draft Bible. We'll have the post-draft recap. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, well, hey, why do I have to pay for scouting reports when there's so much scouting for free online? Well, it's because of what we just said. We're out here, uh, nose to the uh, grindstone, hitting the road, putting on the miles, the frequent flyer miles, the airplane miles, the car miles. But most importantly, we're out here talking to the coaches. We're talking to the head coaches, the strength and conditioning coaches, the ball boys, the ball girls, 
anybody that a player interacts with and comes in contact with, we want to know what he's like off the field, getting to know the player, talking to the players, talking to the players' families. You just can't beat this kind of uh, report. Nobody else is out there doing it. And, you know, that's why we have to charge, you know, for the downloads. So uh, if you're one of those people. And I'll add another thing there, Rick, uh, to to give you a little pub there is people say, well, why should they pay for yours? And that there's so much free out there. And there's a simple reason. If you look at all the stuff that's out there that's for free, whether it's on the major websites, CBS Sports or Bleacher Report or wherever it may be, none of these people has ever been paid by somebody to go scout players except for the media. That's the only money they've ever gotten is they're being paid by a media company to evaluate. None of them has been paid by a, a, a team or something like that, but you are working for the NFL PA Bowl. The, uh, the head of the NFL PA Bowl is a former director in the NFL, and this guy hired you and your staff to scour the country and find prospects. You're being paid to actually scout and get players somewhere. That's why what you do is different than all these other jablokes that are writing up stuff on websites that people don't have to pay for because they're not being paid by anybody that is a team or an organization. That's the difference. People who have experience and are getting paid, that's the difference. And that's why your stuff is so valuable, and that's why people need to jump on this. Because I saw someone, and you probably saw this tweet too about a month ago, someone said, how can I get up-to-date in-season scouting reports each week to know what games to watch and stuff? And it was like, easy. There's Rick. There's nobody else. You get Rick. He gives you weekly updates. Here's who you look at. Here's who did great. This is what's going on. Here are scouting reports up to date. That's who it is. And this person, I think you and I both hammered her and said, hey, here you go. This is the person you need to go to. <laughs> because I'm telling no, you, and folks, I appreciate I've that. been doing this a long time, and most of the people in the media are a joke. Um, Rick, is, Rick is one of the few. And when I say few, I mean Rick. There's a guy named Matt Waldman, and there's one or two others that are in the media that I trust in terms of evaluating players. And you are one of the very, very few. And the the fact that they brought you in to run the NFL PA Bowl, sort of handle the scouting on the road, tells me all you need to know about Rick and should tell everybody else all they need to know. Well, no, I appreciate that, Ross. And, you know, shout out to Dane Vandernat. Uh, executive director and college recruiting at the NFLPA and, and working with him has been a blast. And, and uh, now listen, we're, we're on it, you know, whether it's Oregon and, and you know, Utah at Oregon state and Oregon, Colorado, uh, big time matchups. So yeah, you know, we're, we're getting, we're getting our hands dirty and, and we're bringing it to you. And, you know, we appreciate all the love and support and Hey, you know, I got to take the time to do this because Hey, we're family owned and operated. I don't have ESPN dollars over here trying to promote the NFL draft, Bob. But we got to let you know because if you're a draft mix, if you love the NFL draft, if you don't want to wait till April for a draft guide, well, hey, we got you covered. Get down on it. NFLDraftBible.com. Go check out RussLandy.com too. At RussLandy, he's one of the best follows on Twitter. You can thank me later. And we're going to break down the past week of college football. We're going to look ahead at this upcoming weekend. We'll uh, we'll get in a little XFL, just you know, just because that's what we do. And you know, Russ, I gotta say, I I saw Justin Herbert up close. You know, I think the only question that remains is is he gonna hold up for a 16 plus football schedule? And 
you know, I saw him on the field up close. He looked like he packed on maybe an extra five or eight pounds for this season. He he looked like he had some some meat on those bones to be able to absorb some hits. Now, obviously, a, a collarbone in the past is, is never a, a great thing because hey, like you always say, the chances of re-injuring that increase after your first injury. So. Um, Outside of the injuries, though, I mean, I liked everything I saw, the touch, the release, the accuracy, the deep balls. Um, the kid can do it all. And I'm starting to think now, again, pending medical, and we've talked about Tua having medical as well. I'm starting to think now there's a legitimate shot. Justin Herbert could be the first pick in the draft. You know, I mean, I think at this point, I mean, Justin Herbert, Tua, I mean, 100%, they got to be in the discussion. I think Eason's going to be in the discussion. I still think Fromm is going to be in the discussion because although I think physically he's not in that group in terms of arm strength, quick release, and whatever, I think above the shoulders he's in that group. And in the NFL, above the shoulders is so important. Um, but I think all those guys have to be in the discussion. And you can't even – and we're I'm sort of getting ahead of us, but guys that impressed me, I think Joe Burrow is going to push himself into that discussion – um, I haven't graded any of these guys yet because we're literally halfway through the season, so I haven't had a chance to chart them out and really grind it. But just watching Burrow this past weekend against Florida, I mean, this is a kid gets rid of the ball quick, makes good decisions, so he doesn't have the arm of some of these other guys like Justin, the A-Bear kid or the Easton kid. He doesn't have that rocket of an arm, but he's another guy that's going to be pushing to get in that discussion um, it, it's a great year. I think the A-Bear kid, I mean, I think everybody that has seen him comes away saying, wow, physically it is all there. Intangibles, it's all there. I just want to see him do it every week consistently so I can see if he can make all the throws from different platforms in different situations. I think that's all teams want to see. I think they're very excited about his potential. Yeah, no, it's it's the real deal, and he's got the goods. and. Um... You know, it's going to be interesting to see as we get closer to April how that whole quarterback dilemma plays out. Of course, we've been keeping tabs here each and every week on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. If you're new to the show, hey, please subscribe. We do, we're do. we here each and every week counting you down to that 2020 NFL draft. And, uh, you know, one other note about that Oregon game, and they smoked them. I, I was hoping that, you know, Steven Montez in Colorado, now they had a lot of injuries LaVisca Chenault played through a, a, a core injury. He had a bit, about three catches for 60-something yards. But that Oregon offensive line, now listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're all high-round picks and they're all studs. You know, there was there was more positives than negatives. Um, but, you know, there, a lot of these guys are probably day two, mid-round, even some day three guys there in the mix. Throckmore in the tackle, I think, is more of a guard prospect. And then Lemieux and, and – um, Dallas Warmack is over there. You know, Warmack came over from Alabama. Uh, he's just a big-bodied guy. He doesn't have the height as the other guys, but he's just a big boy. Then you got Jake Hansen in the middle. And then there's a left tackle. I'm saying, hey, this guy, he's a little bit more sloppy than the others, but then, you know, he lines up, and the, the ferociousness, this sophomore, Panay Sewell, Sewell, I got news for you, Russ. This might be the best-looking left tackle. And, again, his body frame, it was a little bit sloppy. So I was like, hey, you know, maybe he's not a player. But I got to tell you, he's the best-looking left tackle. He's only a sophomore, uh, just a stud, really impressive. He 
and he probably isn't draft eligible until 2021. He now has a chance to be a first-round pick. The other guys would not surprise me if they all go day three, but uh, the left tackle there I thought was the most impressive. Hanson, the center, also a good guy. should get picked up in the middle rounds also. Um, and he thought, and then Jawan Johnson, I got to mention him, the wide receiver, the transfer from Penn State, Russ, uh, 6'3", you know, he's about 215, um, made some plays, catching the ball. But what I really liked about him, what really got me excited was his blocking. I mean, this guy's looking to put a body on somebody when he's when he doesn't have the ball in his hand, especially on the run plays. He's looking to help out in a run game and block. And, and as you know, that's going to make himself very appealing at the next level. Oh, there's no question. I mean, it's so important for receivers to block, and I think NFL teams put enormous value on guys. It's Because the blocking isn't just the blocking. When a receiver is a competitive blocker, it tells you a lot about the kid. It tells you a lot about that he's not just for himself, that he's going to do the little things to become better. And, it does, and I don't mean just as a blocker. He's going to do all the little things generally off the field in preparation to be the best player he can be. So when you see a guy that's a really competitive blocker, it gives you a lot of insight into what they're going to be like when they get to the next level. And that's one of the reasons another guy that I think has a chance to be successful at the next level is that Ohio State receiver Austin Mack. He may not be the most physically gifted, but he's the most violent blocking receiver I've ever graded. So those things like you're talking about, blocking is important. It's not just the act of blocking. It's all the things it tells you about a player in terms of being innately competitive and wanting to be successful, wanting the team to do well, those things show up in a guy's willingness to get out there and compete as a blocker. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that Austin Mack. I mean, Ohio State now, they're just cranking out wide receivers. I mean, they got backups who who don't even see the field um, that are potential pro prospects there for the Buckeyes and um, you know, I think they're up to number four now in the rankings. So uh, if the season ended today, I think they'd be in that college football playoffs. But again, you never know what that committee is going to do. It's crazy. We're at the halfway marker. I mean, we've got a half of the season done in the books. Um, this is going to be week number eight already. It's just flying by. And, um, you know, real quickly here, uh, Russ, Oklahoma on the outside looking in. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, uh, who else do you got in the mix there? LSU, I mean, how do you kind of, um, what, what is your top four halfway mark right now? Ooh, you know, I mean, I got to think LSU's got to be there. I mean, to me, I look at LSU and I see all that talent and I say, wow, this is, this is hard to beat um, in terms of they're loaded everywhere. Um, they've got a quarterback who's playing really good football. Obviously, Alabama's got to be in the mix there. Um, Georgia being upset, sort of. a lot of people want to eliminate them. I still think they have a chance if they win out going down um, the rest of the season. Oklahoma has to be in the discussion. Um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting top grouping with, to me, LSU and Alabama, which is – those are two powerhouses. And Clemson, obviously – even though at times their offense has been wildly inconsistent this year, um, they're still <laughs> their talent level. Like we talked about way back when the season was starting with Alabama and Clemson almost being on another level in terms of overall talent. Holy smokes, do they have talent. But their offense has not clicked this year. 
they've been up and down. They'll have two or three great drives and then sort of struggle for a quarter and a half, and then they'll make one or two plays to allow themselves to win a game. Um, but they have to be in the discussion. So, I mean, right now I think if you're looking at your four, to me it's LSU, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma are my four. Um, and looking in from the outside, I mean, Georgia's still going to be in the discussion. I mean, they've got a chance. It's not. I'm not saying it's likely. I think Ohio State obviously um, has to be in that discussion point. And I think the team that's not getting enough national credit, and I think they can play with anybody, and, and they may well end up in the playoff because I think they're going to be hard to beat, is going to be Wisconsin. I mean, it's a team. They're not a really high-scoring attack because they can't really pass the ball consistently well. But they're going to shove the ball down your throat running it. Their defense is playing unbelievable. Um, I think they have one of the, the lesser-known prospects. Um, their pass rusher, Bond, I think is his last name, um, pass rusher from the outside. He's one of the best players I've graded this entire year. Um, they are a bear to go against. Yeah, Zach Bond, they are going to be a team that is going to be a bear the rest of the season. I think they're going to run through the Big Ten. It's going to be them and Ohio State for the title. And it wouldn't shock me if they end up in that playoff situation. No, good point. And that Big Ten, you know, I'm going to throw another one more dark horse into the mix here. And I talked about them a couple of weeks ago, that Penn State defense outside of the SEC. I think this is the best defense in the country. And uh, November 23rd now is going to be Penn State versus Ohio State. And if Penn State runs the table and they and they beat Ohio State, they have got to be in consideration. Now we still got a lot uh, to talk about here. So who else? Let's go back and rewind to last weekend of the college football action. Uh, who are some players that kind of stood out to you? Well, you know, firstly, the first game, the only game I watched start to finish every minute of was that LSU Florida game. And, and a few players jumped out. But the firstly, I got to mention, the thing that disappointed me is the Florida D-end, um, Grenwald, I think, I think that's how it's pronounced, getting hurt in the first quarter. Um, and they're saying he could miss a month. This kid's a grad transfer. I mean, you talk about a kid with a little electricity off the edge, got a little burst. He knows what he's doing. He's got long arms. I was so excited to watch him in that game and seeing him get hurt really was disappointing because I think this is a kid that isn't getting talked about because everybody's focused on the fact that, yes, Chase Young is, is the premier guy and Epinez is, is a really good power defensive end who's probably going to be a first-round pick. And there's some other guys, but this kid, I think, was in the mix to be discussed as that third guy. I mean, a lot of people that I'd spoken to really liked what they saw from this kid. So for him to be hurt, disappointing. You know, i got to say, three guys jumped out to me in that game. Firstly, Justin Jefferson. You talk about a receiver that is not getting national attention. This kid needs to be on everybody's radar. This kid's a junior. He's on his way to being leading the team in receiving for a second consecutive year. Tell me the last time a true junior – led LSU in receiving as a sophomore and a junior. I don't know if there is one. This kid is a legit front-line receiver. I have no clue if he's going to come out this year. My guess is probably because why would a third-year junior that's led his team in receiving two years in a row and has a chance to be a first-round pick, why wouldn't he? But, man, he jumps out when you watch the film, not just with his ability to make plays, but his ability to get open, his, his sort of feel and understanding of positioning, of spacing, it's really good. Impressed the heck out of me. He's a little bit thin, 
I think he's in that 190, 195 range. He's about 6'2", 6'3", so you're going to want to see him hopefully bulk up just to get a little more meat on his bones like you talked about with the A-Bear kid in terms of staying healthy. But he impressed me. Um, obviously, we t- every time we talk about LSU, everybody wants to talk Burrow and this player and that player. Grant Delpit is just a rock star. I mean, just every time you watch LSU, he jumps out, he makes plays to where you think, you know what, this is a guy that some team is going to say, I'm willing to use a top five or top seven pick on him. Um, Like the Jamal Adams from a few years ago, this is a kid that at safety can make an immediate impact because you can line him up everywhere. He can be a center field safety, he can be a two-deep guy, you can move him into the box, you can slide him out into the slot, and if you even got to put him out a corner in certain situations, you can put him out there too. This kid's going to be a rock star safety. There's a little bit of Darwin Adams or uh, Derwin James, I should say, in this kid that you can move him around like a chess piece. He Every game I watch of LSU, he is the most impressive player. For Florida, the one guy who has not gotten a lot of attention, and I really didn't know much about him until I watched, is the running back Piron. This kid, I, I came into the game thinking, okay, this is a kid that sort of reminds me of some other sort of lesser backs based on the stats and what I've heard rumors from different people about. But when I watch him, I mean, his jump cut ability, his strength running with the ball, and his ability to make tough catches on off-target throws, he really impressed me. That's a guy that I really am looking forward to taking a real close look at over a seven- or eight-game period, watching all his carries and all his catches, because there's something about this kid, his ability to not only catch the ball, but to make plays both on handoffs and on catches after contact. He's got a thick lower body. He breaks tackles. He's got that agility to make sharp cuts. There's something about this kid makes me think he's going to be a better pro than he has been in the college ranks. That was the game that I was loving watching. Those players, it was just impressive to see. And I will say, I got to tell you, I, I peaked at that Wisconsin-Michigan State. Whew, is, there, is there really a Michigan State offensive player you're going to be real excited about after that game? Oh my gosh. If you're scouting Michigan State that game, you got to be thinking, ooh, Man, this quarterback, these offensive linemen, I don't know if I want any of them after Wisconsin just torched them the entire game. I, I, they, they just beat up Michigan State. It was ugly. Yeah, you know, uh, Lewerke has gotten a lot of praise at Michigan State for being a, a, a three- or four-year starter, three-time team captain. And uh, I think Connor Cook was the last one to achieve that. And, Hey, Connor just got drafted by the XFL. We'll talk about that more later in the show. But, yeah, P. Ryan, the running back out of Florida, um, got off to somewhat of a slow start. He was kind of on the back of a milk carton to begin the season. And then he just shot out of a can in that game a couple of weeks ago against Auburn. I mean, he shredded them. Um, and then, you know, obviously against LSU, he showed some flashes. So uh, he's stating a case now. I think he's a senior. And if that's the yeah, case, he is. He's a senior. so I, I think, you know, between him and Zach Moss is another guy I got to talk, see last week. And Moss, um, really uh, thick, compact frame. Um, I think Moss and I think <clears throat> the kids from Vanderbilt, Keyshawn Vaughn and Scotty Phillips, those are probably your senior bowl running back invite lock yeah right there i think yeah i think you're right on that i think you're 100 percent correct i gotta tell you when you asked me what games i'd seen i think i went off on a rick sort of a a rick montage of just yapping and yapping i was just going full speed man i couldn't control it hey i was just soaking it in i got my pen and paper always ready when i listened to russ landy and of course if you like what he's preaching 
then check out sportsmanagementworldwide.com. He has a football GM and scouting course. It's a great way to learn about the business, cut your teeth in scouting, get to know what it's what what to look for. You know, I think so many times, Russ, you know, you got um, guys will come in and they'll intern and 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 uh, you know be like, oh, uh, hey, check out this guy. He had two sacks last week, and then I go watch it, and it's like, well, yeah, he had two sacks, but he just was in the right place at the right time, and you know, the quarterback happened to fall in front of him. So I think. You know, it's little things like that that go a long way in terms of what you learn in the football GM and scouting course. Oh, there's no question. And what we're, all we try to do in this course, we're, we're not saying that you're going to take this course um, and all of a sudden you're going to step into an NFL job. Really, it's sort of an eight-week intro to the business. This is how NFL scouting works. This is how scouting in professional football, be it the NFL, CFL, working in college football, working in the XFL. This is how it works. This is the process teams use. This is the process how things go. And here's how you scout players. And we just sort of give you the basics, teach you about what it's going to take for you to make the jump from being a lifelong fan to working in football. And working in football is, doesn't mean you're going to get paid and it's going to be a full-time job right away. What we're trying to teach you is it's a process. It's a ladder. And, and as Rick knows better than anybody else in this business, it's, it's not a ladder where it's two steps and all of a sudden you work part-time and then you're working in the NFL. It's, it can be a 10, 12, 20-year process of starting off in high school, then going to college, then arena league, then big-time college, then CFL, then back to college, and maybe somehow you get in the NFL. But all we're trying to teach you is the basics of how things work and how to get your foot in the door, some of the tricks of the trade that I've used and I've had some of my students use over the years that have helped them develop careers in football. It's a great course. It's eight weeks. It's not going to uh, take up more than probably three or four hours a week for you, but it's a lot of fun. We have great discussions, and it's something I've been doing for over a decade, and I've got guys working that have taken my course. There are guys in the NFL. There's guys in the CFL. Um, I don't know if there's anybody in the XFL, but I know there's a bunch of guys in college football and a bunch of guys working in the media, whether it's pro football focus or other media outlets that took my course and have sort of that they've grown from there. So, it's a fun class. We have a good time, and uh, it really teaches you the basics, but don't take it if you think all of a sudden after eight weeks you're going to the NFL, because if you come in with that mindset, you're going to be very disappointed. you got to be around the people, places, and things that you want to be. So if you want to be in scouting, the Sports Management Worldwide course by Russ is a way to be, first of all, learn from Russ, and then once you graduate, he will give you pointers on what to do next how do i get recognized by teams how do i go about contacting teams how do i get a job in this business so it, it goes a long way i know i'm always reaching out to russ like hey any good graduates any guys i can take on and you know sportsmanagementworldwide.com they've been doing it now for a long time as russ said he's been teaching that course for over a decade strong and a lot of folks have graduated that course and gone on to work in the football scouting community um so check them out check out russ at russ landy and russ who are you going to be checking out this weekend in college football week number eight you know to me there's three games i'm primarily going to be focused on um first one is probably a lesser known game in terms of purdue versus iowa i don't think everybody's circling that one on their uh their calendar. But to me, the real interesting thing is I always got a linebacker named Kristen Welch, middle linebacker, um, decent player, probably a, a, a free agent, maybe a sixth, seventh rounder, but probably a free agent. But I think what's going to be interesting is 
he and the other linebackers at Iowa obviously have to deal with the tight ends. And Welch covers the tight ends probably about 20 to 25% of the time, not all the time. But he's going to get matched up in this game against Purdue's tight end Bryson Hopkins. Um, this kid has gotten zero national attention. But I can tell you that Rick, myself, NFL people know this guy. This guy's a really athletic receiving tight end. I think when all is said and done and people get done shuffling and stuff, this guy could end up being in the top one or two or even could potentially be the top guy taken. This guy is a really talented tight end. I think he's going to be a second-round pick at worst. I think he could push himself into that latter part of the first round. Um, there's a little bit of Hunter Henry when you watch this kid in terms of athletic. So I want to see how he does. Iowa's a very, very sort of fundamentally sound defense. They don't make a lot of breaks in terms of they don't make mental mistakes. They play their positions well. So Hopkins, who's good at finding open space, is going to have to really prove in this game he can identify what they're doing defensively. He can find his way to get open. And for Welch, this is a chance to cover a really good tight end on the chances he gets to do it. It's going to be a good matchup. Obviously, you know as well as I do, if everybody's talking about Justin A. Bear and that watching him play, then this week's a big game. Oregon, Washington, two of the best quarterbacks in the whole country that could both enter the draft, and Justin A. Bear and Jacob Easton. I mean, these are two big league talented quarterbacks with live arms who can do everything you want physically with the ball. I can't wait to watch this game. I'm excited to see how this goes because I love A. Bear. I think there's a ton of things there to like about him, but I also will tell you when you watch Easton throw, all of a sudden you say, hmm, could there really be someone better than this kid just pure throwing the ball? I mean, his his release quickness and, and ability to make rifle throws all over the field is pretty unbelievable. So this can be a great matchup. Um, I can't wait to watch it. And the last one I'm going to mention, Michigan versus Penn State, because you mentioned earlier how good Penn State's defense is, how underrated they are. I mean, think about it. You have Gross Mater, the, the defensive end there. You have Tony, the junior defensive end on the other side. And then you have Windsor, defensive tackle. I mean, that's three guys that eventually are going to be in the NFL, whether they're starters or backups in the NFL. All three of those guys are going to be NFL players. They're going against the Michigan offensive line with three seniors and one junior who are really top-level guys. I'm not saying top-level like first-round picks, but I'm saying top-level like these are all all-conference players who are all going to probably get a shot in the NFL. And that's left tackle John Runyon. Obviously, the son of the great John Runyon. Uh, guards Breeston, Onweo, and their center, Ruiz, who looks like a little fire hydrant out there. I'm not sure he's over six feet tall, but he is a thick-bodied kid with good bend and good strength. I mean, this can be a great matchup. That offensive line versus Penn State's defensive line, that is going to be a war. I think it's going to be the key to the entire game because if Michigan's O-line can't hold up, Penn State could blow the doors off them. This is, this is not, a, not a game where... Michigan's going to be able to get by winning 13 to 10. If they're not scoring points, if they're not in the 20s, that tells you that Penn State's D, that their D-line is dominating that front, and they could run away with this game. So I can't wait to see that matchup. Now that's going to be an exciting one for sure. Um, looking forward to that. And, you know, the, the linebacker there, uh, Mike Nika Parsons on the inside and then Cam Brown on the outside. Yep. You know, you mentioned Hopkins. I'm I'm curious to see how Hopkins does with the jam at the line of scrimmage because uh, that Cam Brown, he, he was getting under his skin now a little bit, frustrating him with the physicality. So I like Hopkins yep, as a prospect. Yep, Brown's an underrated player. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, he's now over 230. I know he struggled to get up there, but he's now maintaining that weight, and he's got a big six foot five frame. Quite honestly, he could probably add another 10, 15 pounds easy 
Um, but Hopkins, like to your point, he just knows he just has a knack for finding the open scene. He's a great um, pass catching, um, you know, decent blocker. I, I, I say, you know, he's 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 an he's an adequate blocker. I just want to see him uh, mix it up, maybe just a little bit more. Get get angry and uh, deal with that jam off the line of scrimmage. Now, Oregon, Washington, I, I think you, again, are on it because you want to see Herbert win these kind of shootouts. You want to see him, you know, get some Ws against the top 25 teams. He lost to the freshman Bo Nix, I think, week one. Um, I think last year there was a couple games where they faced ranked opponents and they were on the losing end. And so Washington comes in here hot, ranked, and ready to go. And this is a game I want to see Herbert win. It's going to be a, a classic quarterback duel, and uh, cream rises to the top. So I want to see Herbert pass this test. And then the other game, you know, only because I just saw them route Oregon State. I mean, this Utah football team, this is a really good football team. And they got Arizona State this week. And I tell you what, Ross plays really good defense. And, and and Herm Edwards is doing a great job there, isn't he? I mean, yep, he is running like a, a pro program with all the coaches and stuff there. But I got news for you: this Utah squad, they are tough, man. Oh, yeah. I I think I think this is a team now. If they're not in the top ten, they're going to be in the top ten. This is a, a a top caliber football team is Utah. So. Had a chance. Well, I couldn't agree more, and I think they're going to make – it's going to be a real challenge seeing what um, what Herm does defensively. I think they're going to bring some new wrinkles out. I think Herm's going to try to use some of his experience being a defensive guy for so long. I think Utah's going to have to deal with some early game, seeing some stuff they haven't seen before, and if they can't figure it out, it could be a long day for them. But I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a chess match, and both those teams have a lot of talent. A lot of talent, and both are very well coached, really good coaches that develop players there at Utah and Arizona State. Now, uh, we're going to have plenty to come back and talk about on next week's show. Those those are, you know, some really good games. I don't know if we've had a week that's going to be this good. And, of course, we get Ohio State at Northwestern on Friday night. So, you know, um, little Buckeyes on Friday night primetime, little primer before your Saturday uh, of college football action. And, you know, it's a great time to be playing football because more than ever, Russ, uh, there's more jobs now, more paying jobs anyway, to play the game that you love. And we'll talk a little bit about this XFL draft, but, you know, as someone who has worked in the XFL and of course the NFL and CFL, but, um, you know, I saw on social media a lot of players saying that they're not gonna uh, they're gonna withdraw their name from the, the player pool because you know the XFL just doesn't pay enough. And you know what? If that's the mentality that you have, well then guess what? Pro football is, is probably not for you because yep. uh, you don't get you don't get recognized by the NFL sitting home on the couch. Um, I think the other before we get to the draft, the other big talk within the agent community. And I'd like for you to shed some light because I think you can speak uh, as an expert on it better than anybody can, Russ. You know, should I have my player go play in the XFL or should I go send them up north to Canada? And, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons that you can state for either case. But 
you know, especially for all the agents, and we got a whole bunch of agents that listen to the show. What is your take? What's your perspective, XFL versus CFL, the whole pay scale and everything that's going on? Well, you know, firstly, I think it really, to me, and, and, and I initially think, you know, why would you go to the XFL? I mean, who knows if the league's going to be here in two years. But I will say, if you're an agent, you, you have players, you have to look at your player and figure out where where is he at. Is this a guy that's played three, two, three, four years in the NFL, bounced around, and, and is a fringe guy who's always, he's going to be close to making a team in the NFL, and if he gets a little better, he should be able to stick? Or are you talking about a guy that maybe he's two or three years out, and every year he's gone to training camps, never made it past training camp, never been on a practice roster, never even gotten a taste other than training camp? Two different things. If you have a guy who legitimately, like I said, that first kind of player who's been in the league, been on a team for a year or two, been on a practice squad, well, I can understand a guy like that saying, you know what, the money between the XFL and the CFL is similar. Um, I'm going to stay here and play in the States so that NFL teams can see me a little easier and that I can jump up, jump into the NFL real quick. Um, I get that. But if you're a player that's never really stuck and you've never really even gotten a look beyond a training camp or two and never been on a practice roster, to me, your best bet without question is go up north. Because if you really are good enough, when you're up north, you'll get found. Because every year, about 15 to 20 players from the CFL get signed to the NFL. And if you're not good enough to come back to the NFL, but you go up to the CFL and you start for two or three years, you can develop a career and be in that league for the long term where I don't know if the XFL is a place you could be long term because no expansion league has ever really lasted since the AFL forced a merger. The USFL lasted three years, and that's the most successful one in 30 years, 40 years. So to me, it really comes down to the type of player you're looking at. Is it a player who has never succeeded in the NFL, never really stuck anywhere? If that's you, you got to go up north because it's a chance to carve out a career, play. Like a perfect example, Jovan Johnson came out of Iowa, very good player, but he was slow-footed, so he could, and he was a midget. So you add those together, that usually doesn't bode well for the NFL. I think he got a cup of coffee in one or two training camps, never made it, went up to CFL. He's had a long career up there, made a good amount of money, and established himself as a starting, high-end quality starting player in the CFL. Perfect guy to go up there. Now, if you're a guy that's bounced around the NFL, been on practice squad, been on active roster, yeah, I get the, the, the appeal of staying in the XFL for this the first season because you're going to be right here in front of NFL teams. Your game's going to be on national TV. NFL teams are going to see you. So it gives you a chance to get your name in front of them. But the most important thing, and you mentioned this when we first started, is players that are withdrawing their name from the pool of the XFL. Unless you have a CFL deal ready to go, that's foolish because the one thing I can promise you is NFL teams don't bring in guys that they can't see anything on. And all they have to go on is stuff that they've seen in the past, which they didn't think was good enough to bring in. So if you don't have film and you've got to get current film and you're not playing in the CFL, you dang well better sign up and get in that XFL if you have that opportunity because it's a chance to get film. Trust me, Landry Jones is not going to the XFL to be a starting quarterback for one of these teams because he thinks he's going to make more money in the XFL. He's going to the XFL for the chance to say, hey, I can be a starter. I'm not a career backup. Because if he leaves the XFL, he could probably go back to the NFL and be a third-string guy for the next five, seven years and earn seven or 800 grand a year. 
That's not the issue. I think he wants to go there and prove that he's more than that. So the XFL is going to give guys an opportunity to prove that, but you've got to get on the field and get film, and that's what Landry Jones is doing, and that's what I think any player that's realistically pulling their name out of consideration for playing in the XFL, they're out of their minds. You've got to do everything you can to get on the field, whether it's in the XFL or the CFL or the Arena League even, get film. It's the only chance you have of impressing an NFL person enough to get yourself back in consideration to get signed. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you sit out a year of football and you don't play anywhere, I mean, your chances of getting picked up by an NFL team are, you know, outside of a kicker or punter are slim to none. I mean, they're just not going to do it. And, you know, I, I think I'm rooting for the XFL. I am As am I, 100%. Cautiously, cautiously optimistic. And, you know, I always have a hard time gauging what the fan excitement is out there because I talk to so many people in the industry and, you know, the scouts, the agents, the trainers, everybody wants to see the league succeed. I wonder, Russ, and take us back because you were part of the original XFL I mean, the stars weren't really there the first time around. Tommy Maddox developed into a star. He hate me, developed into a star. I'm curious to know, like, to me, Cardell Jones and, and Tyree Jackson and Louis Perez, like, hey, I get excited about that. I'm just not sure how excited the average football fan gets about seeing a Trent Richardson uh, who's made the rounds now in just about every league and – you know, Christine, Michael, I mean, uh, I think they thought they were going to get a lot of guys that were cut from the 90-man rosters. I don't think it really worked out that way. But are you concerned at all about the lack of star power? How important is that to the league? And what's your take on that? Well, you know, I think my two things. I think, firstly, one of the things that I think has agents concerned and has people concerned a little bit is, hey, when, when we started hearing XFL and Alliance League, and the Alliance League came out with their salaries, you started hearing rumors that, hey, the XFL is going to pay more. They're, they're going to pay more money than what the Alliance League is paying. And then comes out, well, they're going to pay about 55 grand. Okay, and that's not terrible money. Don't get me wrong. I think when you look at it, it's a chance to play professional football, keep the dream alive, um, 100% it's worth doing. I just think that makes it harder for them to go get those guys, like you talked about, that, that get cut from the NFL, they've been bounced around the NFL for two or three years, and they think they're going to get another shot in the NFL. They say, do I really want to go play in the XFL, or would I rather work out, stay in shape, and hope the phone rings in the next six months? I think that's one issue they're going to have. In terms of star power, I think it's just always difficult for any league to have real star power because – Unless a star player, who, and when I say star player, a guy with a big name is not getting on the field in the NFL and just feels, hey, I want to go show myself somewhere, it's going to be hard to get star power. Because a guy like Landry Jones is an accomplished professional quarterback, been in the NFL for a handful of years. Um, he's a great get for them to have as a starting quarterback. Um, but the reality is he's not a big name. And, I mean, I've, I'm excited to see Tyree Jackson. I'm still stunned he's not in the NFL. Not really excited to see Cardell Jones. I don't think he can play quarterback. I think getting Aaron Murray there is a great signing, and I think he'll put up ridiculous numbers with Coach Tressman. That'll be an easy offense for him to master. But I think it's always hard for these outside leagues to get star power unless you're willing to do what the USFL did 
years and years back when they went and spent millions of dollars getting guys like Herschel Walker and Steve Young and Doug Flutie. And I don't think any of these leagues is willing to do that. I was hoping that there might be one or two other big-name quarterbacks. So I was sort of hoping maybe they could pull a Colin Kaepernick out of the hat or maybe get a guy like Ryan Nassib to jump into this league, guys that I think have a chance to be elite guys. But I'm interested to see it. There are a lot of good people working in that league. It's going to be a great um, sort of comparison. The Alliance League was – Brilliant football people throughout the league, not the greatest businessmen at the top. This league has some good football people like Coach Tressman um, in it. Um, not as many experienced people in terms of football people throughout the league, um, but a great businessman in Vince McMahon. So it's going to be really interesting to see which proves to be right, the Alliance League, which failed, or the XFL in terms of the different models that they're based on. But I'm really excited to see where this goes and see if it has a chance to really last in more than two years. And, you know, just to follow up on a point there, I mean, you know, you mentioned Kaepernick and you mentioned the pay scale. Is it, do you think, because we heard so much talk and I, and I was at the press conference in New York and then I heard the XFL speak at, at a conference at the Combine and we were hearing about how great these salaries could be and the star players could make upwards to a half a million dollars a season. Uh, Two-part question here, Russ. One, yep. is it because the Alliance League failed that the XFL maybe dumbed down some of the salary because they don't have to compete with the other league now? Is that maybe a cause and effect there? And then also, you know, going back to the original XFL, like there was more of a WWF feel to it, a little, um, you know, a little glitz and glamour, maybe shenanigans, whatever you want to call it. Are they going too conservative now? Because I feel like, you know, maybe maybe Johnny Football or Tim Tebow isn't an NFL quarterback, but they would at least create some kind of buzz, Colin Kaepernick. Like, why not pay some of these guys to come play in the league and generate a little buzz? I feel like that the buzz is lacking somewhere. Yeah, you know, I mean, firstly, I, I want to I say one thing, though, is give the XFL credit. They have found a way that even when the Alliance League was going on, they were the ones getting the publicity because Vince is just the best I've ever seen at marketing a sports league. I mean, he's better than anybody in the NFL by far. I mean, if he were in charge of the NFL, they'd probably be worth two or three times what they are today. I mean, the guy's a brilliant marketing and businessman. But I think the XFL, I think two things. I think, yeah, you're right, maybe, and I never thought of it until you just mentioned, maybe with the Alliance League going away, they realize they don't have to compete for player salaries. Because the reality is, no matter how long, and the CFL is the oldest professional sports league, there are over 100 years now of championships in the, in the CFL. I mean, I think they're going on 106 or 105 this year in terms of Grey Cups. It's a long-established league with many stars. Tons of great American players have gone up there and been successful. But it's still, and I worked six years with Montreal Alouettes, I can tell you, even when players have no other option but to sit at home on the couch, and they're not getting called from the NFL, they would rather sit at home, a lot of players, than go to another country and play football. It's a huge challenge. So I think the XFL says, well, the Alliance League's gone. Most of the players that we talk to are just desperate for a chance because they don't want to cross the border. They don't want to go to Canada. So I think they realize, you know what, we don't have to go crazy and pay the seventy-five or 85000 a year that the Alliance League was. Let's trim that down. Let's go with fifty-five, And maybe by doing that small change of, say, 30000 a year for a player, maybe that gives them an extra 
amount of money that maybe they can squeeze a third year under their initial budget as opposed to two or three years. So I think it's, it's a really smart decision by the XFL. Why pay if you don't need to? Because like I said, it's not that the XFL is a better league than the CFL. I don't think it's anywhere close. I mean, the CFL has been around for 100 years. It's a, it's a great league. But the reality is it is so hard, and I speak from experience, convincing kids, especially from southern cities, from down in Louisiana, Alabama, to come up and spend six months a year living in a foreign country, it is not easy, even if the money is better than what they could earn in the XFL. A lot of players would choose to stay home and play in the XFL. So I get it. I think the XFL is making one good decision after another. But you said the star power, that's going to be the determining factor. Star power and quality of football, I hope it works. I pray it works. I want to see all those great people like Eric Galco and Mark Tressman seem to be super successful and see this league become a real secondary feeder league to the NFL. I just don't know if it's realistic to last more than two years. Well, we shall see. Again, uh, we wait on the XFL to see how it all unfolds, and hopefully we've learned from past mistakes in terms of the quality of play that you mentioned, Russ. I think one of the downfalls of the Alliance League, and I thought the brand of football was pretty good. I thought it was quality play. It did take a couple weeks to get there, and I think that was one of the – I mean, listen, it wasn't going to save the league, but I think the mistake they made was – you know, they had all this time to prepare and then they just had like a three week training camp before the season. Hopefully the XFL, which as you know, was the first time around really scrapped together in a limited amount of time. Hopefully drafting players here now in, in mid October, you know, you have three months now, hopefully they get training camps and off season workouts going. And so we do see some quality football especially with the time i think the quarterback timing and, and just getting yep. used to your your receivers and stuff i think that was the biggest issue like the alliance league everything was good except the quarterback play starting off and i think, yep. that I think if they, now that to, they have three months why wouldn't you have every month even if you do them all in the same city to keep costs down and use different fields but have the quarterback running backs and receivers just a three-day mini camp in November and early December, and then right after Christmas, training camp, and get six good weeks of everybody working together. And everybody that's been drafted should have a playbook now. You would hope once a week you'd have sort of a conference call, meeting, position groups, watching film, doing like a share screen so they can all sit and watch together. So you can start getting a feel for your teammates, start getting a feel for the the schemes you're going to be running, because the key is going to be putting it together quickly, because you're right, the XFL, when they did it the first time, they had one month together before the season, and that was it. Alliance League, same sort of thing, three and a half weeks. And it's not that the football wasn't good at the end. It was the first month it wasn't good. And the Alliance League was just like the XFL. It had good ratings at the start, not as good as the XFL, but good. But within a month, those ratings were gone. Because by that time, they'd seen the poor quality of football. And by the time the football got really good, which it was in the XFL by the end of the season, and it was in the Alliance yes. League by week five or six, people had stopped watching, given up on it. So I'm really hoping the XFL learn from that. They see that, and they're going to make an effort over the next three months to get their team together one or two times before training camp and sort of start the process. Let's get out on the practice field, even if it's just 
three hours of walkthroughs for five straight days, and then everybody goes home and do that again in three weeks. And just so people start getting on the same page, start getting used to one another, to me that's one of the vital things both leagues, and you mentioned it, you brought up, it's a great point, that's going to be a big key to success. Yeah, and, you know, all those people that are always preaching about we don't need an NFL preseason, well, keep that in mind <laughs> next time you make yeah, that exactly. argument. Maybe, maybe the I mean, NFL hey, yeah. should. Does, uh, does, does Phillip Rivers and Keenan Allen, do they need preseason to work together? No. But you know what? When you see teams where all their starting receivers are out and they're back down to their fifth and sixth receivers, that's why you see incomplete passes because they haven't repped together enough. So, yeah, you may not want all your stars if you're in the NFL going through a full preseason, but if you're in the XFL or like the Alliance League, you better get a lot of reps so these guys who have never played together before can have some semblance of a clue when the first ball's kicked off. No doubt about it. And, you know, we will leave it there, my friend. Uh, another hour of power in the books. Uh, Tom <laughs> always flies talking football with Russ Landy here. Of course, you can follow him at Russ Landy, RussLandy.com. Of course, it's football GM and scouting course at Sports Management Worldwide. Uh, anything else for the people before we wrap it up, Russ? No, just, uh, I mean, there's nothing better than getting on with Rick here and, and doing this show. Rick is, like I said, one of, one of the people I trust in this business. I believe he's one of the smartest guys in the whole business of football. And I love doing this podcast every week and can't wait to uh, get to do this. I can't wait for the spring. We get to go to, like, the Combine and do daily podcasts from the Combine, do the Senior oh, Bowl, yeah. and, and even go to Vegas and hammer this draft. And, and, and man, imagine the two of us. It's going to get outrageous with us covering the draft. <laughs> and these teams are making stupid picks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, you know, we might need a camera uh, rush for some behind-the-scenes footage following this around for that one. Oh, there's no uh, question we will. I just don't know if we're going to want to <laughs> share those uh, videos with anybody. Well, listen, uh, you know, hey, you're over here giving me compliments, but at the end of the day, you know, we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses, and we appreciate your insight, all the uh, expertise that you bring from two decades of pro scouting experience. And again, uh, if you're looking for that kind of analysis, go to NFLDraftBible.com. You can download our prospectus right now. You'll get our in-season scouting. We are literally on vacation across the nation. And don't forget the NFL PA Bowl is January 18th, 2020 in Pasadena, California. We'll be back here on the Inception Scouting Podcast next week, right here with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella. Till the next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast.